fans were back. Norwich City back to the top of the league and things are looking a little bit rosier as well on the injury front. This is the Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast. I am Connor Southwell, joined by Paddy Davitt. You can also hear us on Future Radio as well every Wednesday evening. Um, Pad, let's let's start really with the only place we can start, which is the return of fans. We'll come on to the game in a moment. But in terms of away from the game and in terms of what it meant, and we've kind of spoken about it a lot, games behind closed doors aren't particularly nice and um, we, we were itching for the day fans would return. 2,000 of them were at Carroll Road and this was um, this was a good occasion for them to come back to, I think. A perfect script in the end. Didn't feel that way when Sheffield Wednesday went 1-0 up with about 60 minutes gone. It looked like after the Lord Mayor showed them. But uh, as you wrote about it over the weekend, you have to say those 2,000 fans, home fans, uh, probably tipped the balance because I'm not sure Norwich may have come back if that, Last 25, 30 minutes have been in an empty, soulless car road where all you can hear is the players and the, and the coaching staff urging each other on. Obviously, you can't quantify that, but but the nature of how Norwich found a second, third gear and you know to, to go bang, bang, two goals in three minutes, two great goals as well in terms of the creation. Um, and then the celebrations thereafter that created the goals and then the final whistle, Daniel Farker, first time probably since actually, you know, Help me out here, Connor. Did did he do his usual Ole orchestration after the Preston pilot? I can't remember that far back. It's been too long. I, I don't think he did, did he? No, no I don't it was a two-two draw, wasn't it? Yeah. So so that was the first time we were treated to that, probably since probably Leicester, maybe Leicester home win mm. back in way back in February, March. Um, and it was great to see, as Daniel said, it was the first step on the road to hopefully normality. And you can guarantee, if we were to speak to any of those two thousand fans now. And you got a sense from that on various social media platforms Saturday night. It was quite an emotional experience, I think. I mean, I've just popped into my head. Didn't your sister go, Connor? Maybe she's sort of brought you up to speed with how it felt to be a fan in that environment and the emotions and that connection again with with your football club. Uh, just a really, really, and obviously the result captain and manner of the, the comeback as well. But it just felt like a real lovely experience for anybody who was there, I'm sure, sure from a Norwich City persuasion. And of course, we get a chance to do it all again uh, Wednesday night, Nottingham Forest. And um, I haven't checked in the last 24 or so hours, but I know on Saturday there was tickets available still out of the 2,000 pop for the Forest visit. I'm pretty sure after that game, uh, any remaining tickets will probably get snapped up because if you wasn't at Car Road on Saturday and saw what unfolded from afar, I, I would imagine that will whet the appetite to try and experience that again. So, yeah, that, Daniel said after the game, you know, the post-match quotes that, when they could run no more, they heard the club's anthem and and then they knew they couldn't give up and they had to go again and and stuff like that. You know, people will, will be, maybe some people will think, well, yeah, they're just, they're just words and it's, it's good sound bites. But I think anybody who was there would feel that was the case, that those players needed a lift and they got it and boy, did they respond. Yeah, and and it just felt to me the the intensity even in the warm up was uh, had a bit more zip in in their little possession game that that they usually play in front of us at the in the press box and um, I think I think it did lift them genuinely um, and and there were times where the crowd did help and okay it's only two thousand it's not where we want to be but it's 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 uh, certainly a, a good start um, and there was a nice moment before kick off where we saw Delia Smith go over to the fans and Michael Wynne Jones um, to to show their appreciation it's obviously been a fairly tough few weeks for her, hasn't it, in terms of losing her, her mother, um, Etty, and, and and whatnot. That was a, a really nice moment before kickoff. It kind of felt, as, as I tweeted, a bit like a party atmosphere before the game had even kicked off. Yeah, it was, yeah. I mean, I think that was nominally uh, to present Marcus Steepman with with um, 
was it signed shirt? I'm not sure because it was on the far side to where we were. But but anyway, there was a presentation, I think, to mark his 100th appearance, recent 100th appearance. But off the back of that, yeah, I mean, we, Tony, our video guy, he, he got some nice footage. It's on pinker.com channels. Go, go and have a look back on Twitter if you haven't seen it. But on our Twitter feed, um, just of their, them basically uh, leading the On the Ball City uh, rendition before the game. And uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. And you, you tend to forget maybe that, you know, it's impacted on people outside the club, people inside the club, and obviously people at the top of the club. I mean, those two during the project restart period uh, towards the back end of the Premier League season didn't want to be at the games because they felt they needed to show that solidarity with supporters. But, you know, this season they've obviously started to attend and um, and I'm sure they would feel that it... it you know, we can we can say well. Obviously, you know, they might be coming at it from the revenue angle because that's been quite clearly put out. The impact of no supporters since March, you know, millions and millions of pounds, and that will continue to be felt now for probably seasons to come in the short term. So, you know, a cynic might say, well, well, yeah, of course they want fans back in because it starts to sort of get the revenue wheels turning again. But uh, for me, that was two fans who, who are also owners of the club who really understand that link between the fan base and this football club and that it is special. Um, you don't get that everywhere else in the country. And I think they just wanted to show their appreciation because they know how tough it's been for those supporters watching from afar month after month. It's, you know, we're in a very privileged position. We get to experience the football game still in a live environment, but um, it's the fans who are the lifeblood of the club, you know, that has always been the case at Norwich and will continue to be the case. And, uh, yeah, it just, as I said, it, it was just a very, and, and it probably did start pre-match, actually. Yeah, no, you, you mentioned it, where where it was going to be a special afternoon and, and it felt like that from before a ball was kicked. Yeah, it did. And it's, um, look, for, for all of the criticisms that are thrown in, in their direction, um, there aren't many owners in English football, I think, who, who would be willing to, to come over and show themselves in front of supporters like that. So, um that that was a a good sign, a good moment before kickoff. And um, let's let's move on to the game then. Is it is it fair to say the first half went probably as we'd expect, given it's a, a, a Tony Pulis side, and it, it was Norwich having a lot of the ball. I think it was seventy one percent possession in the first half, and Sheffield Wednesday defending very compact, and Norwich really struggling to to play through them, and and maybe having the quality in the final third that was needed. Yeah, I mean. If you well, it was said before the game. Daniel said it. We said it on our preview show Friday. You felt it would be that type of game, and, and I don't think it was a huge surprise that probably for the first hour, um, that's how it panned out. Although I thought they had a bit more of an attacking counter-attacking threat than I would have expected from a Pulis side. You know, Katim Harris, he was very good on the counter. Barry Bannon pulling the strings, um, and there, there was a bit more ambition to some sides of Cup season, notably Birmingham with the Ita Karanka. But essentially. Pulis went to that game on the back of three draws um, and that's clearly what he is about. That's him as a coach, that his philosophy is be strong defensively first and then obviously if you can add a goal here or there at the other end of the pitch, all well and good. So, yeah, I mean, that said though, I thought Norwich did get down the left-hand side quite often. Poeta and Sorensen was a bit more advanced than I've seen him probably since he went into that makeshift left-back position. So, there, there was opportunities when they got in behind but what you did notice whenever that ball went across the six-yard box, those two centre-backs were literally limpet like on Timu Puki. He didn't get any room for manoeuvre as good as his movement is, that they were literally following him everywhere inside the box. And yeah, there, there was an element that for all that possession, 
you know, Joe Wilsmith, the Wednesday keeper, did he have a save to make in that first half? I can't think of anything of note. Um, and ultimately, Wednesday probably had as good a chance as if not. In fact, they probably had the best chance in the first half, which was that corner, Borna near post header, and Marco Stiepelman perfectly placed on his back post to head it away on his own goal line. So, you know, you could argue that for all Norwich's possession, um, Wednesday created the better chances in that first hour. Yeah, I would, I would agree. It was um, it was interesting at Daniel Farkas' pre-match press conference before this game. He, he was asked why why do you think there's so few goals in the in the championship this season, and uh, his reply was Tony Pulis, Ida Karanka, and and Neil Warnock. Well, Norwich have taken nine points off of all three of their sides, and of course they welcome a Chris Uton Forest side, which we'll come on to later on. So um, that's that's probably. Uh, the confidence they need, I guess, to prove that they can break down sides like that. Um, let's let's talk about the first Sheffield Wednesday goal then, Pad. Uh, just before it, it happened, we saw Tony Pulis on the side. I mean, he kicks every ball, he doesn't even at, at 62. And he, he was um, really getting into his striker, Josh Windash, and he was going, get involved, Josh, get involved. And then at the other end, he uh, he puts a header in the back of the net. That was um, quite a way to, to get involved and to silence Tony Pulis, I, 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 I imagine. Although Tony would probably take credit. He probably wanted the assist for making sure he, he put a rocket up into being the... But uh, it was an excellent goal uh, and an excellent counter-attacking goal because it was actually sourced by, I think it's Moses Odebadju in their, their right-back slot. He's turned inside Poeta, fed it into Bannon, I think it was. He's helped it on wide left, Adam Reach, and he's peach of a cross between the two Norwich centre-backs for Windass, perfectly timed run, and a header that, from that range, Michael McGovern's not stopping unless absolutely straight at him. And... Uh, Really, really, really positively uh, goal, a positive goal from from Wednesday's point of view, and exactly what I'm sure Tony Pulis was hoping would happen that they would be strong defensively, they'd soak up any pressure that Norwich could muster, that Norwich would start to get frustrated and um, anxious. Then they get a counter attacking goal, and bang, okay, right, well, we've kept you out for an hour, so we're a goal to the good now, we've got something to cling on to. Then you saw the changes he made. I think Windass came off, didn't he? He put Kadeem Harris down the middle and brought on another defensive option. There was one or two other substitutions. And, and it really was then even more of a can-you-break-us-down uh, invitation to Norwich. But to give them their due, uh, they managed to find a way and largely through the, uh, the presence of uh, one individual in particular. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll speak about him in a moment. But Daniel Farker's taken a lot of criticism this season from from some for late substitutions and maybe for, for not changing things as, as, as quickly as, as people would maybe like. This was evidence of him doing that. Josh Martin came on and, and scored a goal. Obviously, there was um, the tactical switch that moved Jakob Sorensen into central midfield, which which seemed to pay off. So as much as people are talking about Mario Vrancic today, and, and, and rightly so, for, for two brilliant assists, some credit also has to go for Daniel Farker to, for, for the changes he made, which hasn't always been the case before. So this is maybe a sign of lessons that have been learned from the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. But also, um, I, I go back to Swansea before the previous international break. Nil-nil, 60, 70 minutes mm. on the clock, Carrow Road. Tim Krul is really keeping Norwich in that game. And what does he do? He turns around, he says, Barley Mumba, Josh Martin, on you go. You know, two teenage reinforcements. A lot of eyebrows were raised as those two were taking their tops off. But as we know, in that final 20 minutes, uh, Barley Mumba in particular, he was the, he was the match changer. Uh, with that cameo down the left-hand side. And uh, it happened again on Saturday. You're right, Josh Martin, within two minutes, makes that attacking run um, and was picked out by a superb Mario Pras. But uh, as I said to Daniel after the game, you know, about Josh Martin, uh, kind of along that vibe, that that's one for the, the coach, really, you know, that you made that change and it paid off. And as always, uh, he, he likes to shovel the, the praise in his players' direction. And he basically said that 
he's been getting into, a bit like Amy Buendi this earlier season, he's been getting into Josh Martin that he wants him to almost gamble and run beyond players and get into the box um, and not play maybe those safe lateral passes, um, which of course he wants in terms of his overall team approach. But within that, you do need in certain occasions to maybe just gamble up by running over in behind a fullback as he did and, and boy, did it pay off. So, yeah, definitely one for Daniel, but also credit that young man as well that, you know, he's, he's as Daniel said, he's they show him the scenes, they show him where he needs to get better and he's the sort of lad, A, who wants to learn and B, who will take on board those lessons and we saw that with that first goal. Yeah, it's been a, a meteoric rise for Josh Martin. 14 months ago, uh, I saw him score a hat-trick for Norwich's under-18s and you left thinking, yeah, technically there's there's a player there. Obviously, work still to be done, but the way he's progressed in, in just over a year has been incredible, really, to, to look like he's on the cusp of the first team, which he does. And obviously had a brilliant pre-season in Germany. We'll hear more from that man in a moment, but he will be uh, indebted for his first goal to Mario Vrancic. And it was a, a lovely pass through the legs of, of a Wednesday defender um, that parallels to, to the pass that slotted Timu Puki through for his winner in the 4-3 win against Millwall. This this debate we have about Mario Vrancic seems to come up every couple of weeks, but there's no doubting in a game like that against a side who maybe do want to give Norwich the ball. He's That's almost a game that's, that's tailor-made for him. And a game that really extracts his qualities, uh, I, I guess. And it shows how influential he is, even at, what, 31, that, that he's still in Norwich's midfield and, and he's still contributing. All day long, yeah. Right opponent, right environment, right moments within a, a game or the right type of game. Mario Rancic is, without, without, you know, without comparing this Norwich squad for me, he's, uh, he's just a very, very gifted, technically superb midfielder who can do certain things as well as any in this division. But obviously, inevitably, there are other aspects of his midfielder's craft. He won't be the man you'd hang your hat on, namely the sort of defensive side. And uh, although that said, that was a hell of a tackle on Kadeem Harris, uh, one down on the edge of his own box. Uh, Maybe we even have to start revising that, uh, you know, sort of barb that we throw in his direction. But yeah, and, and Daniel's said this from the outset, as you say, it has become a bit of a running conversation around Mario this season, given his impact off the bench in Wickham game and Birmingham game, um, that he doesn't feel, uh, unless Norwich had some momentum and go forward in terms of results and are against opponents who will allow them to have a lot of the ball, then then you're looking to Mario Vrancic. If it's, if it's uh, I don't know, say like a Middlesbrough type of game a couple of Saturdays ago where their midfield are very aggressive, pressing very high, putting Norwich on the back foot, you wouldn't necessarily want Mario Vrancic in your central midfield in that type of game. So it's horses for courses. Again, we've just come off the back of discussing what Farker got right with his subs. He's obviously got that right. He, he made that call, not with the benefit of hindsight. Mario Vrancic, you're starting against Wednesday because I think it's going to be the type of game that's going to suit you. Now, for 80 minutes, we'd have probably been saying, well, he's not really looked like he, much like Emi Buendia, much like Steeperman, not really looking like they've got the the ability, or not the ability, but the, the sort of, Guile to un- unpick the lock, but you know it only takes as it was two interventions, and he's won the game essentially for Norwich. And uh, you know what a player! And uh, and and ultimately, Daniel was right what he said after the game that at his age, you know, he's not going to play every week, he's not going to start every week. But it's not about necessarily how many minutes Mario Branchich plays; it's how influential can he be. And the answer is very at the minute. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, did the player watch on, on him this weekend and uh, found a nice quote from Daniel Farker back in October where he said he's a good choice to play deeper when you're dominating possession and you have control yeah. because from this position he can influence the game like no one on this level. And that was kind of seen, wasn't it, on 
on Saturday, uh, his influence on on that on that game. And I know he's he's kind of been put into the number ten debate, but that shows his quality in a deeper position when Norwich are at home and they are dominating the ball. And that may be the case again on Wednesday. I think that's fair to say against Nottingham Forest. Um, but we did see him limp off. How, how bad did did Daniel think that was? Are, are we looking at him joining the the prolonged list we have of of, of injuries? You hope not. You hope not. Daniel's immediate sort of bulletin fitness wise was just cramp and uh to be fair he said that with Emmy Buendia at um let me think what was that midweek game recently Stoke was it um and he was available thereafter but the reality is this season particularly has shown that you know until Daniel sort of can confirms maybe by naming his team sheet an hour before kickoff we have to say he is a doubt although Daniel did seem to think that Poeta was a bigger concern for this Wednesday. He felt a twinge in his hamstring. And, you know, we've seen that with Rock recently. We've seen it with uh, Timu Puki that hamstrings generally are a bit more of a concern in terms of potential games they could miss. Cramp, well, you know, if it is cramp, and it was just because, as we've discussed, it, it was one of his rare starts for Mario. Maybe the maybe the exertions of that game uh, just caught up with him towards the end. Get him off the pitch. Get him rest and recovery over these next two or three days. And obviously we'll get a chance to speak to Daniel on Tuesday uh, as he previews for us. So I'm sure he'll confirm. But at this stage, for me, let's let's look on the positive and, and hope that that was simply just a, a, a lot of effort in a very, uh, very gruelling game for that man and that he should be fit and available. He would certainly want to be involved because off, as he comes off the back of that game, his confidence must be sky high. And, uh, you know, if as it seems likely, Rupp isn't going to be available still for Wednesday. Kenny McLean isn't available. Alex Tete, well, as we're discussing, if Forrest come with the same approach as Birmingham slash Middlesbrough, sorry, slash Sheffield Wednesday, do you want Alex Tete in alongside Skip? You probably don't. You probably want, again, a more progressive type centre midfielder. So I think it probably could be a good shout. He could start again, but, you know, we'll find out a bit more Tuesday afternoon. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Josh Martin, and we'll hit, we'll hear a little bit from him in a, in a moment. First um, goal came off the bench, and, and there was a nice moment afterwards. I thought, which was maybe even better than the run, where he actually held off a defender, used his ball quite well. Something you'd, you'd usually associate with Marco Steepman, and, and then Fed Puki, who, who obviously yeah. shot wide, but just looked to grow in confidence quite quite measurably after that goal. And that's what Norwich City need to see a, a, a bit more of now. And I guess it's about consistency at his age as well, isn't it? Of course it is. Yeah, and uh, and obviously exposure, which. If he continues on this upward curve, he will get under Daniel. Um, and also, you overlay that, you know, the the grueling nature of the fixture list, you know, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Tuesday, um, forever, evermore, it feels at the minute. So I think he's, he's, he's on a path where he's going to get more and more opportunities. And if he continues that level of, as you say, consistency is now the key. Talent isn't in doubt. Um, he's got the temperament because he shows no signs of this is too big for me. I shouldn't be at this level yet. So it really just comes down to can he produce on a consistent basis and keep grounded and don't get too carried away. Yeah, absolutely. Formerly of uh, formerly of Arsenal as well, and Max Aaron's. Um, there was perhaps some indication that that from some he, he maybe hadn't been contributing enough to Norwich City's attack. Um, I think it was one assist and he's he's won one penalty this season, which for a player linked with Barcelona maybe isn't of the standard that that perhaps some would expect, but. Uh, this was a, a very well-taken goal and, and we can praise Mario, Vrancic, Mario Vrancic's back heel, but there was the, the I don't know how many feints there were, but uh, several to pull the defender out of position and then to continue the run and to burst in the box, I thought showed what Max Aarons is all about in terms of his energy and in terms of his attacking contribution and that was some finish for a right back. Oh, top draw. Yeah, I mean, you say feints, there was one feint when 
literally just before he hits the ball, um, where he's, he's clearly fainted, and, and you, you can just see Will Smith, the keeper, has almost bought that and maybe just put his shifted his weight just that fraction, and that's all it took because he the unerring accuracy of the finish right in the far bottom corner. I mean, it was a superb, absolutely superb goal. Um, and, you know, there's no doubt when that man is capable of producing that, we should be seeing it more often, particularly given pounds to a penny. Most games, Norwich are on the front foot. They're in and around the opponent's box a lot of the time. Um, and if, if there was any, you know, sort of, not that there should be, but, you know, if there was any sort of lack of confidence or he doesn't feel he's playing as good as or as well as he knows he can, then again, we're talking about Mario earlier. He should be absolutely buzzing now to score that goal, but also the way he actually took the initiative and thought, no, I'm on the edge of the box. I'm not playing this lateral. I'm going to go. And, of course, Mario's made it with his run, a bit like Josh Martin for the first goal. But um, the composure as well. I mean, that was the finish of an Emi Buendia or a Timu Puki. If either of those had finished that goal, we'd have been saying, well, yeah, they're natural goal scorers or they're they're natural attacking players. That's a right-back nominally. So it does underline, you know, we should be seeing that far more often than his his goal record. I think that was his first Norwich goal since December 2018. Uh, he's too good a player now, certainly at this championship level, not to stamp his authority. And I've seen one or two interviews he's done recently where basically the Barcelona thing is behind him now and now his focus is, one, helping Norwich get back to where they belong, in his opinion. Two, is to make sure he's viewed as the best player in his position in the championship and more performances with that type of end product. There's no debate. He is the best right back uh, in the championship. Agreed. And, and last time he was in the division, he, he obviously won uh, that. Uh, well, he's, he's placing team of the year, essentially, didn't he? Which um, sort of cemented that. And, and uh, hopefully we, we see more from him. And as you'll hear in, in the chat I had with him after the game, is it's his 100th appearance for Norwich City against Nottingham Forest on Wednesday, should he play, which is for, for someone who's 20 years old. I know that, that Stuart Weber has spoken before about the 100 games mark being the sign of maybe you're now a consistent first teamer. Um because it's, it's kind of shifted how people view him from this young, inexperienced right-back, as, as he said, who's perhaps allowed to misplace a pass to someone who is perhaps a bit more of a senior voice in the dressing room and has an opinion on things and is expected to perform every week. And he kind of said maybe that shift has been a little bit difficult, but he certainly has the quality to make it, doesn't he? And, and 100 appearances from where he's come from, his debut against Stevenage, um, his league debut at Portman Road against Ipswich. It's been a, a phenomenal journey for him in the last two years. Oh, absolutely frightening, yeah. And and probably when you map it out like that, and obviously the whole England under-21s, he's now their first choice, essentially. Then, you know, not only are you getting linked with Bayern Munich, PSG, um, clubs in England, but actually Barcelona pick up the phone and inquire to Norwich to take Max Aarons. That's mind-blowing. So you can understand why maybe he has plateaued a little bit in terms of performances of late because the bar is so high, because he is ranked or viewed as... As good as as good, and there's some very good right, young right backs in England now at the minute. But he's in that bracket. He deserves to be bracketed with Trent Alexander-Arnold's Wan Bissakas. That's the type of pedigree, um, and that is because in these previous 99 games, he is for his club. He has shown himself to be, well, potentially a world class right back if he continues on the same path. And and why wouldn't he? Because maturity is there. You know, you don't come through at 18 and do what he's done between then and now if you don't have the temperament, the maturity. Um, and obviously the talent. So really the sky is the limit for that man. And um, yeah, it, it's right in the context of Norwich's squad. Um, you know, we're talking about Josh Martin, Barley Mumba. We talked about him earlier, Adam Eda. He He is a senior figure now. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Forget about his age. Look at his, A, the amount of games he's clocked up and his influence on this side. He is no doubt one of the go-to players in this Norwich team as 
I would argue Tim Crawley's, Timu Puki and Emi Buendia. Those four, for me, are your cornerstones within which Norwich, if they're going to get back to where they want to go this season, those four have to perform at the level we all know they're capable of. Yeah, that, that right side of Aaron's Buendia and then obviously Puki ahead of that, I think is, is going to be really instrumental if Norwich are to get back um, where they feel they should be. Just finally on the game before we, we hear from the players and, and, and Daniel Farker, I stood uh, pitch side speaking to, to Josh Martin and, and Max Aaron's and I think I, I just finished speaking to Josh Martin and um, uh, someone with a face like Thunder walks past the Sheffield Wednesday boss, Tony Pulis. Um, he, he felt his side should have had two penalties. We've kind of touched upon the Mario Vrancic one, which I thought was an a- excellent challenge in real time and on the replay, but the first one, they might have a bit more of a case. Yeah, which was Grant Hanley's got the wrong side of, which I think is the key to it from the Sheffield Wednesday aspect. Uh, wrong side of Kadeem Harris, ball comes over, sort of arrowing towards the edge of McGovern's six-yard box, and he's kind of tried to desperately hook the ball, and it's rolled through to McGovern, and the referee feels clearly Grant Hanley got enough of the ball, but ultimately, if you're a centre-back and you've allowed an attacking player to get the wrong side of you, and then you're having to make a challenge, you do run the risk, and uh, Puyulis was absolutely convinced in real time. Um, I haven't actually seen too much of his post-match, um, so I don't know. What, uh, but but the sense I got was that he was more reflective of his own side's deficiencies in not being able to see out that last 10, 15 minutes. I don't think he continued his, because in real time he was absolutely convinced he should have had two penalties. But, you know, that's what you would expect from a, a coach on the side of a pitch who's one nil up and knows that another goal there probably kills the game off. So, um, no, not for me, Vrancic. And I haven't really seen too many replays of the Hanley one. But obviously, you know, if you feel that there's a debate there to be had, then Norwich have got a little bit lucky. But then I think about uh, three days earlier, Kenilworth Road, Grant Hanley had no luck whatsoever. So let's just say things even themselves out a little bit. Yeah, that's that's probably fair on, on reflection. It, it wasn't it wasn't a penalty at Luton, was it? A very harsh decision. Um, just. Finally then, uh, Norwich City, I, I, I kind of made the point in, in the six things. That was a win that took real guts and you kind of left Carrow Road and sometimes you get a result and you think maybe something is building here. Maybe there is something special going to happen this season. And, and that was certainly one of those because it, they were in a position where they didn't really look like they were going to score. It looked like the, the game pattern had, had kind of set in terms of Sheffield Wednesday, nicking that 1-0 win as, as perhaps Tony Pulis's game plan was. Um, I think that's fair to say. And, and they managed to flip it on its head. And as I said, that is now three points out of three fairly experienced managers. That's um, that's some going for for a team with, what, 13 players out as it, as it stood on Saturday. Oh, yeah, agree. 100%, Connor. I mean, for me, the Swansea game before Christmas, which we've touched on earlier, that was the one where you thought, is this meant to be? Because they, they were getting battered uh, and they found a way. Um, but I think that was topped by what we saw Saturday because... They are up against an experienced coach who really has built his career on, you know, get, being absolutely very hard to break down and constructing teams in his vi- image, essentially. And uh, as Daniel said, you know, that was the first time since he took over that they've conceded two goals on his watch and, in a game. And uh, I think that, that might have been his first defeat as Wednesday boss as well. So in that context, in the context of the injuries as well, um, you have to say that probably was Norwich's best result of the season all things being considered and and it does it does it does feel like um a bit like Middlesbrough away but but more so because of that they were behind in this game the, the type of staging post when you look back in May and hopefully the promotion's been achieved they're back in the Premier League what were the key key games I think we'll be saying yeah do you remember Sheffield Wednesday when the fans came back in uh, and they were literally you know 
10 minutes or so from a second consecutive defeat and they found a way. I think we'll probably be looking back on this one as, uh, yeah, quite quite a key key game in the in the context of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's let's hear from Josh Martin, Max Aarons, and Daniel Farker on that victory against Sheffield Wednesday. Amazing. I can't really describe the feeling. Just it was even better. You know, the fans were here as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's absolute scenes. I, I, I'm still like, speechless. So. I remember speaking to you about a year ago after your, your hat trick in the Youth Cup yeah. to, to to come and score um, a, a goal in the Championship. This must be beyond your wildest dreams in terms of the journey you've made over the last year yeah I mean I've always believed in myself but to, to be from where I was to where I am now is I mean something um, of a dream so I can never really uh, like I count my lucky stars every single day and I'm very, forever grateful how, how grateful are you because it's, it's a very young team out there anyway but for Daniel Farkas to put his, his, his trust in you that must be so special must make you feel so confident and, and so good I guess yeah it's, it's, it's an amazing feeling um, just I just, I've just been working really hard and, and tried to get his trust that way and um, yeah, I hope it's worked. So. Has, has it been a lot of hard work over the last year or so to get where you are? A lot of hard work, um, mentally um, tough as well, but um, every single day it, it's the same. So you can never rest on your laurels, you always have to keep moving forward. I waited all this time and the day that they're back in, um, decided to score. But no, it was a... It was good, good to get back on the score sheet. Um, it's been, a, it has been a while, and um, obviously me as an attacking player, um, I've got it in me to score a goal. So it was a great feeling to do that today. Kind of become a bit more of an experienced player. What's that transition been like from someone that is maybe regarded as a bit inexperienced to being someone that other people look upon? Is is, is that a difficult shift to make? It is. It is. Um, I think it, it's it's come. You know, suddenly you're, um, you know, if you're a bit inexperienced and you're and you kind of. I don't know, misplace a pass or make a little mistake. Um, people can kind of accept it and say you're inexperienced, but then then it comes a point where you know everyone's you're expected to be um, you know the best player in the team every week or, or performing at, the, at your highest level every single week, which um, you know is is something that, that I relish. Um, but it does it's a transition that you have to um, make yourself aware of and, and come to terms with it, and it's, and it's been good. Have you noticed the shift between how teams play against you now com- compared to last time you're in the division? Yeah, I think I said before, you know, um, this, every team that plays against us really is kind of sat behind the ball and waiting for us to make a move and, and, and do things. But I think we've obviously got the players to do that. Um, and, and we like to take that responsibility to break teams down. And, you know, if it happens late in a game like today, um, then so be it. To be honest, it was a long wait because it felt like we had to, uh, to play so many games, also so many home games here without our supporters. And, uh was a pretty proud uh, moment because uh, I made my point even before the game, we needed them uh, today. Yeah? We had a tricky period, uh, many players injured, many young lads involved also after the Luton game. Yeah, the sort of confidence was not unbelievably great, especially not for our, for our young players. And then to play a difficult uh, game against an unbelievably solid and compact opponent. And of course, there were also some some tricky and, and difficult periods uh, during this game. But I also got the feeling that the 2000s here in the stadium um, played their part. So uh, once you are tired and you, you can't run anymore and want to stop running and uh, everyone is singing our song, our club song, then you're reminded how much responsibility you have and, and how much it means to represent also this uh, yellow shirt. And you simply can't just stop anyhow. And, and for that, uh, I think they also played their part. And this was... Definitely uh, also a win for our supporters here in the stadium. So for that, of course, it was then great to, to be able to celebrate with them, but uh, to all of our supporters. Uh, this was definitely a win for, for our fans, for our supporters, yeah, because 
the players know how much it means for, for everyone, how much how important it is during these difficult times that we stick together, that we create an unbelievable spirit and, and unity in, in the city, in this community, with this uh, with this club, and we all fight for the yellow uh, for the yellow shirt, um, the stuff our players, but also our supporters, and we have to protect this, and we have to protect uh, this club, and this is what we did today, and for that, it was definitely a win for us. There we go, that was uh, Norwich City duo Max Ahrens and Josh Martin, and as well as Norwich boss Daniel Farker speaking after the victory. Of course, it's uh, uh, another relentless week in the Championship. Norwich City hosts Nottingham Forest on Wednesday evening at Cow Road before um, the long old trip up north to play Blackburn Rovers, which uh, I think is going to be a tough game for them. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how they get on. Of course, Pinkin.com is the place to go for all the latest Norwich City news and views. Um, we'll be at uh, the Stadium MK on Tuesday as Norwich under-21s play MK Dons, Russell Martin's MK Dons in the EFL Trophy as well um, to try and get in the third round which is uh, which can be interesting if they win that they will be three games from Wembley so a, a potential day out who knows if, if these vaccines can uh, accelerate quick enough thank you very much for listening Pad thank you very much for joining me and we'll see you again very very soon